The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, folks, this is Chris Hunsinger from the Rehabilitation Task Force, and um, Lori Sharp and I are here to um, go to get a conversation going about what indeed uh, vision rehab therapists do. We have a few um, experts in the field with us, um, and I think what I'll do is I will ask um, the experts to give us a brief biography. Um, Tara, can you talk about who you are and what you do? Hi, this is Tara Olson speaking. I work at Visions Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I happen to be an occupational therapist for 20, I guess I'm going on 23 years now, but I also am a vision rehabilitation therapist and an orientation and mobility instructor. So I have a, I think I have a unique perspective in regards to what vision rehabilitation um, really is and how we are able to best serve our participants. I also happen to be the mom of three girls, and one of my daughters actually has hearing and vision loss. So this is really quite a labor of love, love for me, and I really see it as a service that is so important to the consumers. And that's pretty much it. Okay. Um, and we'll be back to you with questions, I'm sure. I Great. see I see Nancy Miller is here too. So Nancy, would you like to um give us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much. I am a licensed social worker by training. Um, but I have been the executive director, CEO of Visions for the last 35 years. Visions was one of the very first vision rehabilitation organizations that worked with the older blind and visually impaired population starting in the 1970s when it was very rare for the older blind population to get a full complement of services. And I think what made Visions unique is that even back in the 1970s, we had occupational therapy staff, vision rehabilitation therapists who back then were called rehabilitation teachers and orientation and mobility specialists, believing very strongly that the expertise that each brought would make a stronger multidisciplinary team and that the occupational therapist was really a generalist working with all types of disabilities, which were really important skills in working with the older population because they often presented not just vision loss, but chronic health conditions that either exacerbated or interfered with the training that was necessary for them to be as independent as possible. Uh, now that, you know, now that we're in 2023, 
Um, we still believe very strongly in the multidisciplinary team. And we have several occupational therapists on staff that have gone back for graduate study to become CBRTs and COMS because they believed and understood that the training that they got as occupational therapists as critical and as important and as necessary as that service is, it doesn't substitute for the specialization as a CVRT or a COMS, particularly because occupational therapists learn a variety of techniques, but not specifically non-visual. Okay. And we'll get to the the pro the differences um, as we go through, um, but um, and now we want to at least and and thank you for your introduction. I'm I, I I'm so glad that we have people with all these various skills and um, organizational um, abilities as well. Lachelle um, Smith, you you were still shown as muted, so. If you can talk to us now this time, <laughs> um, we'd appreciate it. My name is Lachelle Smith, and I am a certified vision rehabilitation therapist. I've been a CVRT for over 20 years, um, and I work in private practice um, still, but I also work as the director of the personal preparation program for vision rehab therapists at Salish University. Um, so that's just an introduction of, of who I am and um, what I do. Did, was there something else that I missed that you wanted me to talk about in this moment? Not right now. I just wanted people okay. to know what, what everybody's qualifications are um, so that we could we could get started. If we're talking about um, VRTs and Lachelle, you are the director of the Salus program for, for VRTs, right? So yes. could you describe the kinds of skills that you teach VRTs. I'm sorry, this is Lori. If you could also just describe briefly the 17 competency areas, if you know them. (laughs) I do know them, but so that this is a coherent conversation, (laughs) let me pull them up because I've been teaching all day. So let me just, um, I'm going to have to pull them up, but I know them all, but let me just pull them up. So I'm, you don't want to miss one. (laughs) No, I don't. There are, there are 17. So um, one second, let me just pull that up real quick. And um, just to start off the conversation, um, the, the general purpose and scope of VRT is providing adaptive independent living skills to individuals who are blind and visually impaired. And we do that in all areas of daily living, whether that's home management, personal management, um, um, basic home mechanics, recreation and leisure. It also includes information um, dissemination and referral, uh, psychosocial uh, aspects to, or you know, psychosocial counseling for those who are visually impaired as well. We deal with employment. We deal with assistive technology. We are more of we, you know, as um, I love what my colleague um, Nancy shared. You know, when you talk about OT, they're of a generalist. Um, as, as she mentioned, I agree with that. VRT, I liken it to the generalist in blind rehabilitation because we cover all aspects of daily living, um, including some mobility, but it's more of indoor mobility, not the full breadth and scope of orientation mobility. So that's kind of like the basics of what we do, the, the areas in which we do it. Um, hold on one second. My computer um, has been having issues today. Um, 
because we lost power. <laughs> so it's, it's acting like it's been hurt. Um, so one moment, let me see here. So I can tell you the, the medical asshole, the 17 areas for uh, vision rehabilitation theory, therapy include first and foremost, um, the medical aspects of visual impairment. So that would be learning eye anatomy, um, the low vision um, intervention and assessment and intervention strategies that someone would, um, a professional would need to know to be able to practice. Um, the other, the next one I would say that we would have to know is the knowledge of the blindness system. So that would include like understanding the laws um, that govern uh, blind education and or visual impairment and blindness and visual impairment for education and rehabilitation. I mean, to be honest with you, under knowledge, the knowledge of the blindness system, there are 10 items <laughs> under the that we have that VRTs are required for. I could probably take up most of your your call. Um, reading them out specifically. So I don't think you want me to do that. Um, unless you do, if you want me to, I can do that. But if you want to know the full scope of what VRTs are required to learn, I can do that. Would you like me to do that or just the, the 17 areas? I think General just, I, I think just, just oh, you go, you, you, I defer. Yeah, anymore. just the 17 areas. Um, because okay, no I, problem. I, I can send out um, the actual you, curriculum. The actual, yeah. yeah. Standards competencies. So yeah, so it's the knowledge of the blindness system, medical aspects of blindness and low vision. And then you have professionalism and practice methods. And then number four is independent living, personal management. Number five is independent living, home management. That's where they're learning food, you know, preparation of food, cleaning, eating skills, things of that nature, communication skills, that would include um, Braille, um, and some assistive technology as well under that which is separate from its own assistive technology area, Braille and other tactile systems. Um, you have to, we have to know access and assistive technology, recreation and leisure, aging and vision, deaf blindness, teaching and learning strategies, um, psychosocial aspects of blindness and vision loss, individuals who are blind and visually impaired with additional disabilities, research, orientation and mobility, um, employment related skills, so those are the 17 areas that VRTs um, are required to receive education and training and to become, um, you know, fully competent and eligible for cert national certification through ACV REP. So what do, how long is the program? So that's, depend that's dependent on individual school programs. Some of them, some of them are structured differently. I can only speak to the SALIS program. Our SALIS program, a full-time student can complete the program depending on when they come in, which we, um, every semester, we have rolling admissions and we have courses every semester. Depending on when they come into the program, it could take them as minimum of four, um, four or four to five semesters full-time, or, but they, can, they cannot surpass five years. So some people are doing it part-time because they're still working or they have families. But I've never really seen a student that go five years. I've seen a student that go that, that typically takes three years um, if they're doing it part time, but full time, mostly a little under two years or two years at the at the most to be on the safe side. And then what kinds of uh, internships or whatever would normally be expected? Absolutely. So for again, I can only speak to the Salas program, but I will speak to the ACVRP um, requirement is a 350 hour internship, 
with 260 hours of the 350 must be direct service with a client or learner. Um, the Salas program has a field work and internship, which is a minimum of 500 hours of field work and internship experience. Our field work is a combination um, of co-teach of, of observation of a CVRT and co-teaching with a CVRT and other certified blindness professionals like O&M or low vision or TVI. And then our internship is a minimum of 400 hours um, of internship of you start out maybe for the first few couple weeks of, um, you know, observation because it's a new site potentially. Um, and if you're not at a new site, you don't do the observation. And the majority of that time of the 400 hours should be um, in direct independent teaching. Okay, now after we ask a few of our questions, we certainly will take hands from our audience, but um, I wanna ask a few more questions of, of our um, presenters. And so I, I wanna go back to Nancy who was explaining to us um, when she first started, you know, more about how uh, Visions uses um, a combination of all these um, disciplines in their staff that they that they don't just have um, one one person doing everything. So, Nancy, would you like to elaborate on that? Sure. Thank you. <clears throat> um, and actually, Tara can also speak to it as somebody who is on the vision staff, but what we look at is the competencies that each of our professionals brings to the service that we're providing. And that includes the licensed social workers, it includes uh, the low vision optometrists. Uh, but when we're speaking about the staff that primarily work in the home, with the, our participants of all ages, that is primarily the vision rehabilitation therapists and the occupational therapists. We also have one physical therapist who also is a graduate degreed VRT. And she's able to bring her PT background and her VRT expertise in working with the participants that she serves. What we look at in terms of who is going to work with each participant is the presenting problem. And it's an assessment that is done by the professional to determine what are the areas of difficulty that the person is presenting initially. It could be that uh, this is somebody who has experienced a stroke and they're having not only difficulty with vision, but may also be having difficulty with gait, with balance, you know, with other issues that have not been fully addressed through their medical rehabilitation. And in that case, the OT may be the first person that's assigned to work with that individual. If the person's presenting issues are basically visual, then we would assign the VRT to start off working with that individual. And then if after they've provided services, they've discovered that the person has other 
needs for other chronic health conditions, they would refer to the occupational therapist. We're fortunate because we have a number of occupational therapists who are also CVRTs and COMS. And that means that the same person can be providing all the different services under the different disciplines and go back and forth between the occupational therapy that they're doing and the CVRT and, and O&M services. My experience has been that many occupational therapists do not have the expertise in andragogy that the CVRT and the COMS have, meaning they they may feel more comfortable working with children and pediatrics, depending on what their training is, what their internships have been. Um, the way the occupational therapist works with the individual is different than the way, not better, not worse, but different than the way the CBRT or the CRMS would work with the individual. And a lot of that has to do with the VRT or the O&M being the specialist in non-visual techniques for accomplishing daily living and mobility tasks. The OTs in their education, what Lachelle described, that depth of knowledge and depth of training does not occur around blindness and uh, severe visual impairment. OTs are exposed to vision problems. Many OTs even have a class, a class on vision, um, maybe. Uh, but the techniques that they're using are transferable dependent on whatever the disability is. And they are taught how to teach um, in a similar sequencing that a CVRT might use, but the actual tasks that are being taught aren't necessarily taught non-visually. And, and that's a big distinction that the CVRT and the OMS, uh, COMS are bringing a, a great depth of knowledge, book knowledge, theory, uh, goals and expectations of the Rehabilitation Act and WIOA, um, information that may not be at the fingertips of the OT. And they're bringing all of that information to develop the treatment plan and the service plan for the participant with the understanding that their presenting problem is the vision loss. That's very interesting. Um, Tara, would you like to speak to what things you have found that you might not have known had you not had the exposure to VRT training? Absolutely. Hi, this is Tara speaking again. I do agree with Nancy on pretty much everything she said. <laughs> so, but as an OT, I was not prepared 
to provide the service that I needed to for individuals with low vision or blindness. And it wasn't because I wasn't at the top of my class or I didn't win in whatever award for field work when I graduated. It was because I was not taught how to do how to do what a CVRT does. And that is a tremendous difference. Um, being a mother of a child who had who's been in the system since she was six hours old and is a low vision, um, a person with low vision, I found it very difficult to find the appropriate services. Now, this child had early intervention from the very, very beginning, and she was not able to have her needs addressed in the way that she could have had she had a CVRT early or an O&M instructor. And she had OT, she had PT, everything. She had speech, you name it, she had it, except for CVRT and O&M. So, but going back to what I was not able to do as an OT, I mean, I and I think back to my intern supervisor, who I am so grateful to, Kathleen McGuire, who taught me pretty much everything I know as a VRT. And the difference is now I can fully work with a person who is totally blind or has low vision. Um, and I couldn't do that prior. I didn't have the instruction in um, any of the devices. And I hate to tell you, I really think many generalist OTs today don't have that as well. Um, I think that they just, it, it, the preparation is lacking. I think that they don't have, um, a ver that you need to have that specialization that the CVRT has. And that's really what has made me flourish, I believe, and do my best work as an instructor. So I'll give you an example of just a day of how I would work um, as an OT and a CVRT. I recently had an individual who, during COVID, a 49-year-old male, he had diabetes. You know, when I was an OT back in the day when I was young, <laughs> And in the hospital, the most I had worked with, with a person who had diabetes was doing um, transfers and sliding board transfers because they had, had leg amputations, but we never had addressed anything visual. Now with this individual, he had a stroke in addition to his vision loss. So during COVID, he woke up one day, he couldn't move. He had a stroke. Three days later, he couldn't see. So by the time I got to see him, he when I spoke to him, he told me, I want to learn Braille. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. But will this work? So I started working with him. When I initially worked with him, I had to put my OT hat on because he couldn't move his right hand. He couldn't feel. So I gave him a variety of occupational therapy exercises. This individual now is able to move his hand, he's able to use his hand, but he's also able to now use it in the way from me teaching him the CVRT piece, where I taught him grade one braille, he's got a lot of grade two braille, and he can actually read the braille using both hands. So grade one right now, we're not up to the, the grade two literacy is not as high. Um, but this is an amazing piece of collaboration. Okay, it happened to be me doing it to, you know, that I was a CVRT and the OT. But without that collaboration, this individual would not be where he is today. Um, and he's thinking of becoming a caddis now. 
because he can't believe all of the technology I instructed him in as a CVRT. And I could never have walked into his home from the visiting nurse services um, and provided him that level of care. Now, and I think back to when I did work at visiting nurse service a long time ago, and they were like, oh, you know a little bit about vision, don't you? Don't you have a kid who has vision loss? We're going to put you up. We need you to go see this person. This is before I became a CVRT. We need you to go see this person because they have a really long list at Helen Keller and they're waiting. So we need you to go in and be a low vision specialist. That's when I went back to school because I needed to be able to provide the service to the community that needed mm-hmm. it so much and do it correctly. And I tell interns, even back when I took interns as an OT, especially <laughs> when I was younger, I would say just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And I think it's really important to emphasize that collaboration between the disciplines because we, my student that I have now, my participant, and I've been, I've been granted the ability to work with him for a long period of time, which is unheard of. Um, but because of his progress and his commitment to Braille and to technology, I would never have been able to do that if I hadn't gone back to school and specialized as a CVRT. So I don't know. I feel like I went off on a tangent because I, I, I feel so very um, strongly about this because it's a protection for the consumers. And I see just even with my own daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I was thinking, you know, one thing is that the, the whole idea of the non-visual teaching method. I think there, you know, there are so many of us who can identify with the fact that when somebody tells me, well, it's on the left-hand side of the screen halfway down. And I go, no, it's not on the left-hand side of the screen halfway down for me. It's a linear screen. Just tell me what it says and I'll look for it. <laughs> I mean, you know, but they see it all visually. So, and, and that happens in so many other places. And I'm sure that, that, that many OTs, will, you know, who don't think in terms of how do you teach somebody non-visually how to do something? Correct. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I can go back to my own schooling, which was a long time ago, but still relevant. Um, we were never instructed other than the medical model way, where you come in with your clipboard and you have your assessment or you have your laptop and you sit down and you command a very medical model assessment. And that's not really how I work because it's a, I'm, it's a collaboration with participants and everybody is so unique in the, in the, in the world of vision loss. Um, and in order to be able to achieve our outcomes, we need to have a, a collaboration between myself and the participant. So Yeah, it just, we didn't get that in OT. I didn't know how to interact with a person who had low vision or blindness other than my own daughter. And um, that was very casual. So, you know, I'm her mom, you know, it was very unprofessional the way we were interacting. (laughs) But, But if you go back to all of the pieces, I was lucky enough to just be, um, given the opportunity to put together a CEU class for the, a role of the occupational therapist in low vision. And one of the big parts of the manuscript is how to interact with individuals who have low vision or blindness, things, how to do um, human guide, how to, inter- all the courtesies 
that you have to announce yourself when you come into the room, that you don't just leave a person hanging in a conversation. I think a lot of people are afraid to do the wrong thing when they're with a person who has low vision or blindness. And I think not having that information as an OT, maybe then you do nothing. But also as a just an individual, I see sometimes um, just with my own daughter um, that people will they won't do they won't do anything because they don't know what to do. And um, I think that's a big missing piece of the education of the OT um, generalist. So I can't speak to what goes on at the University of Alabama, only of what I've researched. And of course, that's a master's or doctoral level degree that specializes in low vision. Um, and again, you have to look at the piece of with ACVREP, the scope of practice of a certified low vision therapist really is not addressing blindness. It's really based off of low vision. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just some interesting thoughts, but I feel like I'm going off on a tangent. So if there's anything else you want me to be more specific about, I can, I certainly can. Well, we'll see if other people, people have questions, okay. but I have a question for Nancy. And that is, is, do you think that Visions is an unusual organization in the collaborative nature of how um, you guys do business? And uh, do you find that are there issues uh, involving the availability of people with the skill sets that you need? Um, so I think the personnel shortage is making it difficult for everybody everywhere. But since we're located and headquartered in New York, we have access to more professionals than I think other vision rehab agencies do. Um, we have a very large rehab staff over 30 uh, people who are in our rehab staff, either full-time or part-time. And any graduate or anybody looking for an internship in VRT and O&M, you know, pretty much will say, yes, we'll take you. You know, there's no cap on the number of, of VRTs or O&Ms that will hire because the need is so great. Um, I do think we're unusual in that we do not see ourselves as a medical rehabilitation model agency. We have always from, you know, from our incorporation in the 1920s, and then when we merged with a smaller uh, rehab agency in the 1980s, we've always seen ourselves as a social rehabilitation model. So in that sense, um, we were very much of our time in the 1970s and 1980s. I don't know how many other vision rehab agencies now consider themselves social rehab models. We don't bill Medicaid or Medicare for any of our services, including OT. You know, we have OTs on staff who basically are working as professionals under their OT license, um, but they are not constricted by the requirements of billing Medicaid or Medicare. I think many nonprofit vision rehab agencies are looking to OTs as an alternative to CBRTs because they can be billed 
But I think as Tara has explained it, um, and she can go into more detail, billing for OT is very restrictive. You bill in very small increments. The amount you can bill is capped. The amount of time you can spend with a participant is limited. And having a social rehab model gives Tara and the other staff at Visions some flexibility based on the needs that are presented by each individual. So if it takes one individual three months to complete whatever their uh, service design is, whatever their um, individual plan is, it might take another person nine months to complete that same level of service based on their age, based on their learning method, based on whether they're getting family support, all of the other factors that enter into how quickly somebody is going to be able to learn a a particular skill. Um, Level of vision loss obviously is an issue, but often that's not the most critical. A lot has to do with learning style and a lot has to do with family reinforcement or not reinforcing it, which means that people don't practice from lesson to lesson. And that means it's going to take longer for that individual to learn. Um, I don't think we are the only agency in, in the United States like us, but I do think we are rarer than those organizations that are either already in a medical model or seeking a medical model based on reimbursement, not necessarily based on what is best for the individual participant. Okay. And that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I had a question for Lachelle, and that is, If you could recruit more students in in this program, would you have the space for them? I mean, are are you going? Um, is there are, are there slots being unfilled in your program, or are there people just not aware of, of the kind of programs or whatever? What do you think? Yes. Um, well, there's a couple different answers to your question. The first one about um, are people not aware of the programs? One hundred percent, yes. Um, there are. VRT is one of those professions. In fact, the the entire blindness and low vision profession, there is a lack of awareness that it exists um, as a potential career. I myself am congenitally visually impaired, and I never heard 
of a VRT until I was a working professional in a totally different industry. And I had a TVI, did not have an O&M. And so this is someone who's, who is blind, who's visually impaired, who is receiving services through their state vocational rehabilitation agency. And no one ever mentioned to me there's something called vision rehab therapy or rehabilitation teaching at the time that could help you with um, training and activities of daily living. So I would say 100% yes, there is a lack of awareness of VRT. The other question that you asked is, um, do, does the program have room to take on new students? Yes, we do. However, that does have to be um, balanced um, where a lot of our programs are not as large because we've not had the numbers coming in. So we do have limited faculty. So with an influx of additional students requires um, some changing in the structure of the faculty for that program. I've been um, the director of the program since 2009 and I've been almost, I've been, well, I have my colleagues, which is fine, but I'm the only VRT um, on the faculty. And so I've had to, I've not had a, a VRT partner in faculty. I have, you know, O&Ms, low vision, TVI. But um, so if I were to have, say, another 20 students uh, join the program on in the fall, it would it would be a restructuring needed. There would need to, you know, hire more faculty, but then we'd have the students to be able to because we'd have the tuition dollars coming in that would support um, additional faculty. So there's a lot of different um, factors that are involved. I can't speak to the, all the other programs, mm. but I except generally all the programs are waiting for more students. We are all in, the, in this active recruitment um, of individuals into our programs for certain. Do any of you ladies know uh, how many VRT programs there are in the country? There are five. Just five? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Just five. Just five. Isn't that sad? Yeah, no wonder there are there, five. Yeah. No wonder there's... Well, there are six. I There are six if you include the... There is a rehabilitation program. Um, is it in Louisiana? It's the uh, National Federation of the Blind. They have a, a, re a rehabilitation program as well, a rehabilitation teaching program. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, a it's a little different structure, but it is a program. So that would be six. I was thinking of the ones that are um, under the AER or mm -hmm. ACER certification. It's five. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, those programs do certify, uh, I'm sorry, they they do not certify. They take in students from both Canada and the United States. Absolutely. And, and beyond Canada. Um, I have I've met, had many international students as well. Okay. If you ladies have nothing... I don't have any other questions. Um, Laura, do you have any other questions that you wanted to be sure that we asked before before the audience gets to ask their questions? Uh, not that I can think of. I just do want to mention that um, occupational therapists did at one point have the ability to certify in low vision. Um, the American Association of Occupational Therapists have done away with that certification because of a lack of interest by OTs. This is Lachelle. May I make a, a, another brief comment? I, I kind of wanted to um, make another comment from what Tara and what Nancy said about some of the differences in how OTs may approach the instructional process or the training process versus a VRT. Um, both of them talked about the collaboration and that is like, that is 
number one is the collaboration with the participant or what I would call the client or learner with the professional. But there's also another huge piece of it. It's the psychosocial um, adjustment to vision loss and at every stage of training. And I don't know um, if that is addressed so much as it relates to blindness or low vision in the OT program. It is heavily addressed in all of the blindness and low vision specialties because, you know, like Nancy was saying, there are so many factors that might um, impact the duration of a training period um, of a participant with a VRT. And psychosocial is one of the number one areas. Um, if someone hasn't fully, uh, well, I won't even say fully because, you know, we adjust at different stages of life to different circumstances. But um, if that's not being addressed and it's just, okay, this is your treatment plan that the professional came up with without the input without understanding some of those psychosocial um, impacts or factors that could either encourage or discourage the learner from um, participating fully in training, that also needs to be addressed. And I'm not sure that that's really addressed in an OT program. Tara, you can speak to that um, for certain as an OT, but from the OTs that I've had in my program, because I've received many OTs um, in the VRT master's program, or certificate program, one of the one of the comments that they make is, well, you know, I go in and I tell them what they're going to do. I tell them what their treatment plan is. I don't ask them. And they're now relearning what Nancy brought up as andragogy. That is highly, um, that's, that's like the tool that we use as VRTs to really understand our learners and to build a service plan based on their experience, their, their future goals and their, their needs and limitations and fears. And so um, I just wanted to mention that as well. And well, this is Lori, if I could just piggyback on what uh, was just stated. A good example is with an occupational therapist who may not have had um, blindness training, um, they're gonna look at a gas stove and say, oh, you can't cook on that because you're blind. And I actually heard this story from somebody over the weekend who had been cooking on that same stove for 20 plus years. And the occupational therapist who was there to address physical issues did not feel comfortable working with the person on, you know, okay, now that you have a physical issue, what are we going to do about getting the pot of water to the sink to drain your pasta? Because the stove was a gas stove. Well, you know, the gas stove or not, that's not what she was there to address. And because there was no non-visual skills in blindness training, that was the person's reaction to the situation. And that really could have taken a situation and really disabled the person more. And the person could have said, okay, well, then I'll just eat microwave meals. Exactly. Um, you know, and a very big part of the psychosocial aspect of blindness rehabilitation is also working with a family because mm -hmm. teaching a family human guide technique. How many times, Tara, have you gone into a home and somebody's sitting on the edge of a bed and doesn't know how to get up to leave their bedroom because, you know, a family member guy, you know, gets gets them up by hoisting them up and then steers them like a shopping cart through the door, you know, until you teach them human guide technique. It's, you know, a really complex 
situation and very, very different professions. It's interesting. This is Tara speaking. Lori, it's interesting that you say that because when I was, before I had kids, I was a supervisor in a, in a, an assisted, um, a skilled nursing facility. And I had a, I had a team of OT, PT, speech I, I um, worked with. And I remember having an interaction with one of the therapists because they wanted the gym closed. And I, being their supervisor, said, no, family members are allowed in the gym. Of course, they need to learn the exercises. They need to be able to support the family member. And um, I think it's, you know, it's just a necessity. And they were very upset that I required an open gym to families. And that's just the way it is, because in the medical model, oh, no, we close the door and everybody does their little work. And um, that's not how it goes when you're working with individuals who have low vision or blindness or basically anybody. But um, I know that as a generalist OT, psychosocial needs were kept to the psych ward. That was one specialization of OT. But I will say in my research for um, the recent course I was doing is to where OTs stood now with what they're doing. Um, They do initiate a referral based off of a um, elderly or depression scale or a quick screen for elderly depression when there's low vision um, needs. So they'll refer to social work, but that's pretty much where they're addressing it. Um, So just thought I'd let you know about that. Yeah, this is Nancy. If I could just add in talking about the family when there are children involved, um, it's, even um, more critical to make sure that issues around independence and um, unnecessary dependence are addressed directly. So if it's a, a blind teenager whose siblings are doing everything for them, or, you know, the siblings are the ones who are doing the, uh, the guiding, or it's the siblings that are handling uh, all of the chores in the house and the blind teenager is not involved, then those siblings have to be part of the rehab teaching as well. And the VRT is particularly skilled at looking at that individual with vision loss within their environment. And that environment includes the family and it includes the um, the nature of the household, and it includes the you know physical environment as it relates to their vision loss, which is different than the OT who is looking at the physical environment in relation to their physical limitations, you know, gait, balance, um, stamina. Uh, it it's all important, but it's different. And if you're not trained on what to look for, then you miss things that are critical in that person's being able to maintain or improve their independent living and daily living skills. Well, thank you. Um, Let's go to questions. How about that? So um, Donna, you can... Pick a pick a person. <laughs> yes, Tim Hill. You may lower your hand and share.
Um, I was just wondering, is there anything that can be done about pendulum nystagmus? I had I was born with RP, and uh, about 10 years ago, I came down with uh, Parkinson's. And when I had the, the Parkinson's started, so did the pendulum nystagmus. Well, I don't think we can answer that here tonight, only because we don't want to speak about specific uh, medical conditions and have you answer questions that might be medical, um, you know, but that is something that you could contact a local provider in your area. And if you need help with that, you could email uh, community at acb.org or give the ACB office a call. And one of us on this, com on the rehab committee would be happy to connect you with your local providers. Chris Bell. Thank you. Um, so I have Two quick questions. One relates to, do you think the shortage of uh, certified vision rehabilitation teachers has anything to do with the salary that they can earn? And is the salary range for a CVRT different from the salary range for an OT? That's one question. And the other is, do, uh, do you guys get training uh, in folks with learning disabilities and vision loss? So this is Lachelle. Um, thank you for your question. As This is Chris? Yes. Yes. So I can answer, I think your first question was about the salary range. Um, I do believe that salary is a hindering factor um, for people who might be interested in going into rehab. Um, the, the salary range for VRTs vary drastically depending on the location of the job. Somewhere like New York is wonderful because the salary range is much, much higher. Um, a place like, you know, um, down south or even some, some areas in Pennsylvania, it is quite low. And so that is one of the factors that is prohibitive of people seeking out um, the VRT profession. I do not know, uh, I cannot speak to the salary range. I, I've, I've read it and researched it, but I don't remember it offhand of OTs, but it, I know it's higher, <laughs> um, significantly uh, can be in some, in some respects, uh, much higher, um, dep again, depending on location, because um, some starting OTs might be comparable to um, some VRTs that are working in, say, like the, um, the VA or, say, envisions in New York. Um, so, again, it depends on uh, Nancy, maybe you can speak to that as you hire both. Um, but that's, that's my understanding and my experience and knowledge about it. Um, yeah, so this is Nancy Miller again. Um, our starting salaries at Visions, um, to the best of my ability, are equivalent to what a VRT or an O&M would earn at the VA hospital or um, at, in special ed you know, what they would be hired for at the Department of Education um, and also what my colleagues are paying because uh, we don't want to lose staff to, to another vision rehab agency. So the starting salary for somebody right out of school with a master's degree in DRT or O&M is $80,000 at Visions. Now, that is higher than many of the upstate New York vision rehab agencies are paying. And the only reason I know what they're paying is I check Indeed all the time to see what the competition is paying. 
And some of the upstate agencies are paying forty or fifty thousand dollars for for the same individual. Now, if somebody has grown up in, you know, uh, Albany, New York, and the cost of living in Albany, New York, is less expensive than New York City, they may be willing to take a lower salary. VRT and O&M salaries are similar to social work salaries. So comparing it to OT isn't necessarily apples to apples, um, especially because many OTs now are getting doctorates, not just master's degrees. And they're coming out of school with a doctorate, which is a, a different level. Sure. Also, because they are paid... In the medical model, the hospitals absolutely pay more than non-hospital settings. And that's true for social work. That's true for um, for other disciplines that are both community-based and uh, medical and hospital-based. Your highest salaries tend to be in hospitals, in some cases, in nursing homes, um, depending on the uh, number of applicants in that particular uh, locale. But I think that having a higher starting salary definitely makes it more attractive for uh, applicants who are looking for both internship, field work opportunities. Um, Back when I started, nobody was paid during their internship. And now, as far as I know, everybody is paid during their internship. Because if an agency wants to hire someone, you want to hire them at the time they're doing their field work and not wait until the field work is over. Because by that point, somebody else has already offered them a position. Thank you. That's very helpful. 9 p.m. Our next person is Michael Byington. Well, I want to begin by complimenting uh, Tara on her presentation and saying that I am delighted that to learn that her background is a background both as a uh, certified vision uh, rehabilitation therapist and an OT. I think in some of the controversies that have uh, been going around recently, I have been uh, dubbed as someone who was anti-OT and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, uh, I'm semi-retired now. I'm an old geezer. But uh, one of the people whom I've had the greatest respect for in the agencies uh, with which I have worked was a lady who was an OT and then also went and got her uh, VRT. Uh, sound familiar? Yes, it, it should. And uh, both of her knowledge as an OT and as a CVRT was absolutely essential to yeah. the things that she did. Now, the question that I have is with the current C, uh, ACVREP proposal to start uh, certifying OTs with a uh, vision add-on credential, uh, 
sort of an endorsement. Uh, it's my understanding that right now they're looking at providing uh, 10 of the 17 basic uh, uh, product or basic uh, levels of learning that uh, the CBTRTs get. But I could certainly see many agencies uh, hiring someone who had that endorsement and thinking they had it covered. And I could see that as reducing the quality of learning available within agencies that are purporting to uh, be expert in blindness rehabilitation. And so I guess I would like to ask Tara, if you had only gotten 10 of the 17 uh, major pieces, would you have been as competent to do the things that you needed to do in working with blind and visually impaired people? And if not, why, what, what would the logic be of not simply encouraging an OT who's interested in working with blind people to go back and get the full CBRT on top of the OT? I mean, you guys that can do that are great. And yes, they'll pay you third-party payment for a lot of what you do that the CBRT alone doesn't get people. But I'm concerned about a reduction in quality of practitioners in the field if we start adding blindness just as an endorsement that is added on to the OT. And I'd like to hear what Tara has to say on those issues. Hi, this is Tara speaking. Thank you, Michael, for the compliments. And I have to say that I share the same concern. I am a consumer for my daughter. I don't believe that I would be the qualified provider or the expert that some may say I am um, if I had not gotten the pathway of education that I pursued. Um, and I'm concerned and worried for the field. And I don't want to see a lower standard brought in because we can, or it's easy. To me, I feel that it appears that some may be wanting to use their doctoral degree as almost, not even an excuse, but okay, so I have a doctoral degree. I just need an endorsement. And that's not how it works. Right. You need to be highly qualified. And I don't believe having just a blindness endorsement or 10 of the 17 necessary um, elements to be a qualified provider um, can be done in a quick, cheap fashion like that. And I guess from my perspective, it seems that maybe people are trying to save time and money because maybe they're burned out from too much education. I don't know. Maybe it's too expensive. I'm not so sure. But I think if you have a passion for doing things the right way and serving the community of people who have vision loss and blindness, you will do it the right way. I mean, there is an established path. I did it. I was even pregnant when I was in O&M school. It can be done. If I can do it, anybody can. And I really feel very strongly that... OTs should follow the pathways that are already established and they'll be very happy with the outcome 
because they'll be fantastic providers and all of their participants will be happy. You'll see amazing outcomes and the world will be a good place. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tara. Uh, you and I really are of the same thought on this, but you have the expertise of professorship to go along with it. Uh, I might mention that as well as being a comms, I'm also a legally blind guy. And uh, I've always felt very dedicated to the field of what I do, even before I went back to school for the comms. But getting the training made me incredibly better at what I uh, have been doing than I was before. And thank you very much. And this is, Lori, if I could just add that ACVREP has publicly stated that the occupational therapists who will be potentially seeking endorsement will not be required to learn Braille and will not be required to know how to teach somebody the long white cane. And, um, you know, indoor mobility is something that a CVRT can teach. So if you're not going to know how to give somebody a white cane in a situation where it would help them to feel safer or even be safer, um, you know, I think that is a disservice to a client. And those are two areas specifically that watering down a um, a certification, I think, is is really damaging to clients. Lori, this is Nancy, and I just wanted to add that there are many states that do not have a single VRT. And if a uh, OT gets the endorsement and presents themselves as the professional, blind people who live in that state are not going to get the same quality of service that they would if they were in a state that had CVRTs. So I think it's it's looking at the entire country and saying that if ACVREP is going to offer an opportunity for somebody to say they are trained in working with blind people, but they do not have the full range of competencies, they could very well be the only provider in certain states. And that means that those individual blind people will not get the same quality of service. Hello, Thank everyone. You. Thank you, Nancy. We have Scott Marshall next. Hi, good evening, everybody. And this is a fascinating uh, presentation. Uh, and hello to many friends. Um, I, I'm wondering, and I, I firmly believe that reimbursement will help drive availability of services, salaries, and help a lot to the extent that it can. Realizing that our current reimbursement system for healthcare is broken and comes with costs in and of itself, billing limitations on visits and all that sort of stuff. But why would we not want to bill uh, on a medical basis to the extent that we could and why would we be so fearful of even requiring a doctor's prescription to do it if that's what it took? 
And when I think about my own primary care physician nowadays, it reminds me kind of like the CVRT. You know, they, they treat when they can, they refer when they can't, and help you navigate the rest of the system. And then you go out to the particular specialty that will really meet your needs. But in the healthcare arena, the, you know, you have to worry about the bean counters. You have to worry about whether it's in your PPO network and all those things given. But there's no question about there's going to be some level of reimbursement. And I think that drives availability of services and, and everything else, as I indicated earlier. Would, would someone like to comment on this? Uh, this is Nancy Miller. Hi, Nancy. I personally have no objections to Medicare and Medicaid becoming a funding stream for vision rehabilitation. It's not a direction that visions will go in, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be helpful for other organizations and certainly other states where that reimbursement could mean the difference between no service or specialized service. In fact, there are codes in Medicare right now that exist to reimburse VRT and O&M. They were used as part of a demonstration project, right. which was not successful, no. but the codes still exist and could be reactivated. However, looking at the uh, political stalemate between Republicans and Democrats, it's highly unlikely that new expenses are going to be added to Medicare at any time soon. But I, again, you know, agencies will make decisions based on their culture and values and their own financial circumstances as to whether or not they want to bill or not bill if the billing is available. Interestingly, um, up until about, I think it was 10 years ago or maybe 15 years ago, you could bill VRT and O&M incident to a doctor's prescription. And there were many, many vision rehab agencies that had doctors as part of their low vision clinics who were billing VRT and O&M incident to the physician. And then there were certain rehab agencies that fought against it. And that opportunity was eliminated by Medicare. It was a, a regulation decision. It was not a legislative decision. So that's another way that billing could be reestablished that VRT and O&M could be authorized. However, incident to meant that the overseeing physician had to be on site. So it was particularly helpful for hospital clinics, for center-based programs where there was a uh, medical overseer 
on site. It was not meant to provide services in the home. Um, but again, there can be those of us who don't bill, but we're not opposed to somebody else doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. That uh, I, th- That's quite interesting. And uh, uh, we could talk a lot more about all of this, of course, and I know we're short on time, but I'll conclude by saying, Nancy, I think I need to move to New York and have your wonderful interdisciplinary team make a new man out of me. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) thanks very much. They are a great agency. Thank you. We have Ray Campbell. A good presentation. Um, As a totally blind person who benefited greatly from a lot of services over the years, but especially from orientation and mobility training with, you know, competent comms. I, I shudder to even think about the idea of somebody with just an endorsement teaching me how to cross a street or use a white cane. That just kind of scares me a little bit. Um, it brings me to my question. And that is how, how do we get more people to want to go into this field uh, to, 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 to work with people who are blind or visually impaired? Um, it, it's, um, you know, what, what are some things that uh, groups like ACB can do that, um, you know, some of the programs out there can do to try to bring, get more people interested in wanting to be um, in work in this field and work with um, people who are blind or visually impaired. So we don't have to resort to things like the Academy seems to be heading toward, which is watering down the standards. This is Lori. If I could just comment, first of all, the, I don't want people to think that anybody who is not trained should be teaching somebody to cross the street. That is not the case. And the endorsement would only be for occupational therapists to provide um, vision rehabilitation therapy. So it wouldn't be outdoor (laughs) mobility. Um, In addition to that, um, we have had discussions within the rehabilitation task force about some specific areas that could be worked on to increase um, and bring people into the field. Also, agencies like Visions have produced videos to introduce people who might not know about the field of vision rehabilitation mm-hmm. or orientation and mobility. Um, the same thing for uh, Mississippi State University. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that could be done, loan forgiveness for, um, you know, expenses associated with school, things like that. Um, so if anybody else on the. Thank you, Lori. That, that makes me yep. feel a lot better. Yeah. And, and has, by the, by the way, her hand. oh, I just wanted to say, by the way, the mission of ACVREP is to bring people into the field. Hi, this is Tara speaking. I just wanted to to add something to what was just discussed in regards to outdoor mobility. Um, I have read in certain textbooks for occupational therapists who work with low vision um, that part of their scope of practice is to 
rehabilitate functional mobility. And that could mean indoor mobility, but it went even a step further to discuss that OTs, this is a quote from a book um, by Mary Warren, that OTs, who is the guru in OT Low Vision, um, are able to work with individuals outdoors. If, say, they're walking to the grocery store or the corner store, and they are able to train street crossings unless they are multi-lane streets. So I'm not sure everybody is being as transparent or that all of the information is as clear and out there as to what OTs perceive their scope of practice and have established within their um, community of profession. So functional mobility, indoor and outdoor. Because that's Thank you for they, pointing that sad fact out. Well, let's get Marsha. Okay, Marsha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, let's take Marsha and Doug because he's the co-chair of the rehab task force. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I'm a, I am a certified vision rehabilitation ther- therapist over 20 years of experience in Georgia. Uh, Alice Richard and I were enticed to go back to school because at that time there was a program at FSU and because of the common market between Florida and Georgia, we were able to get our tuition covered. So that was a nice uh, way to go about it. Although both of us being visually impaired and just like um, Tara has mentioned, I believe that most of us and others on this call who are truly committed to the field have an investment already in vision loss, either ourselves, some of our family members. That's why we do this crazy stuff. We, you know, Alice and I traveled to Florida for two years. I flew 14 different times to Tallahassee, Florida to get my degree at my own expense. So with that said, I, I don't know. I wish that this this group of brains here could come up with some ideas because Georgia is one of those states we are in real trouble. We're losing a lot of our people to the Veterans Administration, uh, both O&Ms and VRTs. We, I can't imagine what another 10 to 15 years is going to bring uh, for some of us who are truly aging out of the field. And if we don't get our political folks involved and others involved, oh, man, I don't even want to think about the future for people who are blind and visually impaired. I know we don't have enough time. I could tell you lots of stories, tragic stories in Georgia. Um, we just... We just try to keep our heads above water, frankly. But thank you. And I hope this group comes up with some wonderful ideas. We got some good people, Lachelle, I know, and others on this call. So I hope we can we can truly make a plan, make a difference. Thank you. Doug. My, my question is, uh, you know, I've been on several discussions of this, and I, I know that Lori has told me that a lot of the um, – VRTs in the field now are um, are actually uh, not certified, and uh, I was wondering what percentage of people who are uh, now per, you know now pract- uh, practitioners um, are not 
you know, have, have done the work, but haven't sat for the, uh, sat for the certification. This, this is Lachelle. I, that's a great question, Doug. I don't have the answer to that, but I do know that there are several trained VRTs who have not sought um, certification for, you know, many different reasons. A lot of them financial um, because, and a lot of them, because maybe the agencies that they work for are not supportive of the process because to be certified, it does require not only a financial commitment, but it also, it also um, requires um, that individual to be able to attend conferences, to do continuing education um, outside of just their normal practice um, in the profession. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm such a proponent of certification that this is something that I, I talk about um, a lot to different groups and different settings who are not. And, you know, I understand their values. I have a different take, but, um, but those are some of the challenges in which people that prevent people or deter people from getting certified. But they have, many of them have gone through the formal training process. Right. And uh, isn't that that revenue from the certification process goes back to ACVREP, right? So, so what, what, what we're saying is that we're asking ACVREP to set up the standards. Uh, and then we're saying, okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much. And now we're not going to certify, you know, we're not going to sit for certification um, because, you know, you, you charge too much where, where they're, that's where the revenue that they, that they are using to, to do the work that they do. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I actually wouldn't say it that way. I would say, I mean, that I'm not saying that it's correct or incorrect in how your perception of that is. I think um, I can't make somebody get certified, but I can require them to go through, if they're going through a program and they're going to work, if I am, say I'm, I'm a visions and I'm an employer, I am going to require, you know, my staff to be certified because it's not about, it's not about ACVRP. It's about the stakeholder. It's about the, the individuals who, who is blind or vision impaired. They deserve the best, um, the best uh, treatment or care or training from a person who has gone through the actual training. Certification is, um, this is such a, a very big topic that we've talked on many different, uh, I don't know if we can give it, if I can give it justice in the next three minutes or four minutes that we have, but I will say that it is, this is an issue. And I understand why AC very P, um, you know, f may feel that way, but I don't understand the connection of creating a new certificate to duplicate. Because basically, if they're doing 10, they're going to require OTs to meet 10 out of the 17 competencies for practice. You know, it's duplicate. But what are those 10 areas going to be different from what's already offered through ACE VRP mm -hmm. certification through low vision and VRT? They're not, they can't be any different because the core is the core. Low vision, VRT, and orientation mobility, they all share a certain core. So if now OT has that core, what, what makes it different when there's already existing certificates or pathways, basically what Tara was saying, that they could go through? And so they can get the revenue. If, if they truly want that revenue that's missing from the certified or the lack of certification, push them through the, the existing pathways. Like, like Tara has gone through, that's not, that's not, you know, deprive of them of income. Not at all. It's, it, there has to be some other factor why they're not. 
And I and think it's because they don't want to meet the full 17 competencies or maybe what Tara was saying, maybe it's a financial hindrance to them. Maybe it is, you know, maybe it is that they think that they already know how to do it. And so, it, the, you know, when that argument comes up, it's like, this is not taking any money away from ACBRAP. Whenever the, I mean, if, if they had, if OT had a specialization in low vision, some of them went through the specialization, some of them went through the LVT. So what makes them not, what makes VRT not attractive enough for some OTs to look at that option as a viable option? Watch the cost of creating a certification exam, because I've been on the board of ACVRP for seven years. I was on the VRT SME for <laughs> probably six years. And I've been in the process of creating the CVRT exam. It takes tremendous time, resources, and money. So that money that ACVRP is investing in creating a certification that's already duplicating something that already exists, to me, is a disservice to the certificates that they're already serving. And Lichelle, this is Nancy. Just to add to what you're saying, you know, part of the problem is that agencies are not requiring certification. Um, and I believe that we should. And I not only believe that we should, but I believe we should be paying for it. So, you know, Visions um, has for the last 35 years required all of our staff to be certified or licensed, whatever is available, and we will pay for it and we will pay for the continuing education and we will give staff time on their work time to take whatever courses they need in order to qualify. That's an agency decision. And I wish more agencies made that decision because I think more people would become certified if their agency required it and paid for it. Absolutely, Nancy. This is Lachelle again. In fact, many of the individuals that have come through the program recently at Salas have worked, they're working in the role of a VRT. And the reason why they're coming back now is now that they're because of such a shortage and because they can't retain their staff for independent living, some of these agencies are now supporting their staff to come through. And I think when for those and for also for some of the students who I know who are working in the field, they went through their program and they're not certified. One of the main questions we ask in our follow up after a year or so graduating the program is why aren't you certified? And the number one response is because I'm not required by my employer. And so if the employee, I think, thank you for bringing that up. Nancy. That's one of the main reasons if the employer doesn't require it, the a lot of employees will not go for it. I just have to say, guys, it's nine twenty nine, and and that's about as far as we can go. <laughs> can I just can I just add one thing, and then we can um, wrap. I just wanted to say that um, also, Rehabilitation Services Administration does not require the certification. They require that somebody be eligible to sit for the exam. And once True. you've graduated and completed your, once you've completed your internship and graduated, you're eligible to sit. You can sit for that exam at any time. In one particular state, they have 23 people with master's degrees in vision rehabilitation therapy. They only have three 
CVRTs listed in that state. The other remaining individuals chose not to go and get their degree because the state would not pay for it. Or require it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And Chris, go ahead and wrap up. Uh, The the only thing I wanted to say is that um, we will be trying to get together a podcast and we'll put those links to a couple of those uh, videos about um, VRTs, et cetera, as part of that (laughs) podcast uh, in the podcast notes. So I think um, we're going to try to get that up in the next week or so. And that's about as good as I can say for right now. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.